I can't believe it's been almost three months since I hit record on the first Best Worst Club episode. I want to take a moment to say how thankful I am for all of the support you have already given the podcast. From each of you who hit play on an episode to the ones who bravely come on to share their journeys with us, this literally wouldn't exist without you. And as you know, endometriosis can steal a lot of dreams. It can make you feel like you're a burden without much to give, which by the way, is most definitely not true. For a few years through my own journey with endo, that mindset consumed me. I felt like a shell of any version of Mariah I ever knew. I struggled to see myself as anything other than less than I used to be, anything other than endometriosis. If you follow me on Instagram, which I so hope you do because right now that's where our community interacts the most, then you may have seen a reel I posted about having tried this whole podcasting thing a few years ago. It was in the midst of that time where I really felt worthless because of my chronic and mental illnesses. So I don't know what made me think starting a new endeavor was a good idea, but that seems to be part of my MO. I am certainly a serial project starter and want to be entrepreneur. I'm also true to my Gemini nature and the fact that I love to talk about topics I'm passionate about. And this is where the crossroads of podcasting and endometriosis met in my brain. Except the timing wasn't right. Have you ever had an idea like that? You try to start bringing it to life, but it's just not the right time in your life. So it goes on the back burner for a season, never fully released because the idea just needs to wait until you can handle it. I feel like that's kind of what's happened here. Even though I still absolutely wonder if I can handle it, hence me taking to my soapbox on my IG stories to tell you all about how I don't know if I can do this. And that season of the podcast being on the back burner, whether I realized it at the time or I can see it now in the hindsight perspective, there were things I needed to process and experience to do this right now, or at least to try it again. A big part of that was reaching some place of acceptance that this chronic illness life is mine, and it can still be something I want to live. The other big part was you and the Indo community online. Our community has been such a vital lifeline from the time I started finding myself in Facebook Indo support groups and following hashtag IndoWarrior on Instagram. For me, the content that other Indo warriors created literally saved me from ablation surgery. I was so desperate for some kind of relief and I didn't fully understand what ablation was and I hadn't heard of excision surgery from any of the doctors I was seeing. I don't remember exactly what post it was or who made it, but I know it was from another endo-warrior that I learned of Nancy's Nook and the coveted Nook surgeon list. I have mixed feelings on the group now, but I will always remain grateful for it. My time in the Nook was short, but I found what I needed. The closest actual endometriosis expert near me. Honestly, I feel so lucky that that expert ended up being Dr. Cernervo at the Center for Endometriosis Care. Once I found their website, there was no other option in my mind. 
How could a website validate me and explain my symptoms better than the multiple doctors I had already seen? A website! And let me tell you, well, actually, I probably don't have to tell you, but just in case you are one of the few listeners that don't have endometriosis yourself, after the years of medical gaslighting that turns into self-doubt, I cried reading the CEC website. I don't for a second pretend that I am not incredibly privileged to have had excision surgery with one of the best, but unfortunately, I still didn't escape the 7-10 to year wait. Dr. Sonervo certainly wasn't my starting point, and sometimes I let my mind run wild and dream of what life would be like if he would have been my starting point. How much different my life would be. I would be. But I have to rein it in and not let myself go there too often because it can become unhealthy. It can start to undo the acceptance I delicately cling to. I wish I could say that my endo journey is in a lull, but this disease definitely wants to make it known that it remains incurable. I still live with daily symptoms. Part of that is because endo is progressive. Part is from years of damage that was already done. And lastly, because I, like many of us, have coexisting conditions. When I tell my story outside of the endo community, I'm always faced with responses like, Oh my god, how can that happen? Well, why don't the doctors do something? I thought you had surgery. You're not better yet? And honestly, I'm fucking over it. I'm over the fact that this can be the reality for so many of us, but the majority wants to stick their head in the sand and pretend it's not happening. Then blame us for not getting better already. I know this happens far too often in our country. We are literally still fighting for equal rights for all, So it's really pretty obvious to see why endometriosis is treated the way it is. But we tell our stories. We expose the wrongdoings going on behind closed doors. We stand up to the bullies and the giants just as so many of others have done so before us. And we don't stop doing so until the changes we need and deserve to see happen start happening. So in this week's continuation of It's Not Just a Bad Period series, I'm going to be sharing my journey to diagnosis. Bear with me as I work to recall everything that's happened along the way. I also want to restate that the purpose of this series is to highlight our realities of trying to access care for endometriosis in the current medical landscape and how that desperately needs to change. Our experiences of medical trauma are not only not unique, but contribute to the lack of care we receive. It's not that some of us have fallen through the cracks. It's not just some of us who wait far too long to even receive a diagnosis. It's not just that some of us don't have access to the kinds of specialists we need. One in 10 people assigned female at birth are diagnosed with endometriosis. 
really stop to think about how common that makes this debilitating and currently incurable disease. The stories in the It's Not Just a Bad Period series are difficult to listen to, and I want to keep it that way, because they aren't just stories, but the harrowing realities of each warrior that is bravely taking part. Although endometriosis was first identified over 160 years ago, substantial gaps in adequately addressing this disease remains. From research being severely underfunded to outdated medical procedures still being used, this disease is a beast to live with but existing in the current medical system makes it exponentially worse. I wish I could say these circumstances only exist for a few unlucky warriors, but that's not true. This is the typical experience of an endometriosis warrior, and it's time the world hears it. The stories you are about to hear are the personal experiences of each individual and the views expressed by the guests are their own. Please listen with discretion as this series contains mature content that could possibly be triggering to some individuals. Mention of depression, suicidal ideation, medical trauma, sexual assault, disordered eating, and other sensitive topics may come up. And as always, this podcast is not intended to be taken as medical advice. Please refer to your doctor or therapist. Oh my goodness, where to even begin? First off, it's very strange to be on the other side of this series and having to think back of everything that I've gone through uh, up until my diagnosis and even still after my diagnosis. Um, I definitely so appreciate everyone that comes on and shares their stories because it isn't easy to look back and really dig things up and kind of relive those traumatic events and to really see like the bigger picture of your endometriosis journey and to really highlight the things that were systemic injustices, things that are in place in the medical system, in the political system, in our country's way of workings that really inhibit some of our care, that really contribute to a lot of the medical trauma, the delay in diagnosis, the lack of specialists available, all of the things that really make living with endometriosis so much harder than it already is. The disease in itself is really terrible. I know I don't have to explain those explain that to those of you listening who have endometriosis, but I do know and hope that there are some people listening that don't have endometriosis that maybe know someone or just want to know more about the disease and the the obstacles and 
the things that we are really up against um, in trying to access care and trying to just receive a diagnosis with endometriosis. Uh, So I am going to try to keep this shorter, especially since it's just me talking. Um, I'm an avid podcast listener and I don't typically like listening to podcasts that is just one-sided, just one story. Um, So I don't want to keep you all here forever. I just kind of want to touch on some of the uh, big points and the things that this series is trying to point out, the things that the series is trying to highlight. Uh, So one of those things that for me is personal in my journey is the start of my endometriosis symptoms. Now, obviously, a lot of this and coming on here explaining our journeys is from the perspective of hindsight. Uh, so there are things that, you know, I can obviously see now that I didn't see before. Um, and so one of those things is how early my endometriosis symptoms started. Um, I can remember at the age of 10, uh, some really painful abdominal symptoms. Um, That was kind of the start of always having an upset stomach, being nauseous all of the time. Um, I also began kind of began my period at age 10. Um, So I spent a whole year of my period being very irregular, a lot of spotting. Um, I didn't really even know if I could call that have like starting yet, but I guess it would be uh, now looking back at it. Um, So obviously that is very young. And by the time I was 11, I had a regular period. It was every single month. And it was pretty painful from the beginning as well. Um, Also, another thing that was around, so two things. One is a more obvious endometriosis symptoms, like you can Google it and find facts like, yes, uh, the especially the early onset of this is a, is like correlated to endometriosis. And that is the fact that I had migraine headaches at a young age. Um, they probably started by 11 or 12, maybe even younger than that. Um, and not much emphasis was put on that because migraines also run in my family. So does um, starting periods early so do painful periods. And guess what else? So does endometriosis. (laughs) Duh. Um, Actually, my maternal aunt was diagnosed with endometriosis in her 20s, I believe. And then one of my sisters um, has also been diagnosed um, actually after my diagnosis. And I think my official diagnosis kind of helped her journey a little bit as well. Um, not that she, not that she managed to come out unscathed or missed any of the lovely trauma that comes along with endometriosis. Um, but that's her story to tell. Obviously, I'm, I'm not going to share details into that. Um, so yeah, so some of the main points is those things were around at a very young age. Another thing that I can remember is I had 
and this is kind of a strange one, and the only reason I really know that this is correlated is from talking to the endometriosis community. Um, I think I have also read it on a website, but I'm not sure which one, so I won't attempt to state what that was. But I remember having belly button pain um, from a really young age and that being something that has stuck around um, was definitely through my teen years and even still now. And so like it kind of like radiates um, around my belly button and down towards um, my pelvic region, I guess you would say. Uh, And like I said, that was something that was definitely there at a young age. So to tell you a little bit more about my story, so now that you know I started at a young age, um, my migraine headaches got progressively worse and I, my period pain got progress- progressively worse, nausea progressively worse, um, abdominal pains and cramping progressively worse. I then, once I was about 14, I began having these episodes so regularly that me and my mom started calling them episodes. Um, And it would be where I would have like hot flashes and drenched in sweat, nauseous, but like freezing, teeth chattering, chills. Um, And it would all be around a bowel movement and I would have severe cramping and it would be like this whole 20-30 minute ordeal um, where I would think I was either going to pass out or or vomit um, and it would usually, the only relief, the only way it would end would be when I had a bowel movement. Um, And now, obviously knowing now that I had endometriosis on my bowels. I'm like, oh yeah, that definitely explains it. Um, So that also got progressively worse and I ended up actually passing out, like losing consciousness um, a couple of different times when I was, by the time I was like 15, I believe. And because of that, I ended up at our local children's hospital um, where they started testing me for epilepsy, which is like, wow, that's so far off, right? Like, I come in and present with these things, and I guess just because of the passing out, it was assumed that it was neurological, and that was why I was sent there, but I remember having this test done where they put all these, like, electrodes on my head and um, had me blow into, like, one of those parasol things that, like, little, that you stick out in your yard and, like, the wind blows, and they looked at my brain as I did that and determined that I, in fact, do not have epilepsy, Um, and then subsequently put me on birth control because that was the next best thing to manage the symptoms that I was having, right? Um, Definitely, and still so, that generation of like, birth control can fix anything. Birth control makes everything regular. Oh, yeah, just go ahead and, you know, no care or caution to the side effects and things, the adverse things that 
people experience, um, especially those with any kind of mental illness or that, um, you know, have a tendency for depression. There was definitely not a mention of that. Um, so for me, my migraines got significantly worse on birth control. Uh, so I ended up, they switched me and tried me on, you know, all the different kinds, low estrogen, pro, I don't even know what they all are, but literally tried them all and nothing really worked. Um, and so because my migraines were still very prevalent um, and seemed to be aggravated by the birth control, the doctor that I was seeing then, which was still the same one that was suspicious of epilepsy, which that in itself is crazy, right? Like, what is that doctor doing prescribing me hormonal birth control? Like, these are the things that we are trying to point out that are wrong and that if these doctors or some kind of better training was in place to identify endometriosis and then to send these patients, such as me, presenting with these symptoms to an endometriosis specialist instead of where we get sent, which is typically a gynecologist office who still don't fully understand endometriosis, like we could avoid so much damage, so many years of the disease just growing and running rampant and ruining our organs and ruining our fertility and our lives and our career and all the things that it ruins. Um, And these are like, this is what matters. These are the things that can be changed and would make such a significant impact in our quality of life and our quality of medical care. Um, so going back to, okay, so where was I? Um, so I got taken off of birth control at, or by that time I was probably 16 by the time I stopped it and was like, yeah, that definitely does not agree with me. Um, I also had struggled some with depression and it seemed to make that worse and I, we became like me and my family became aware of that and so that was definitely like always stuck in my mind that that happened and was a big reason why I was so adamant and I've remained adamant about not doing birth control in really any other part of my endometriosis journey um, and that is not I am not here to say that if you use birth control that you're wrong or anything on those lines. Um, I know that birth control can help manage certain symptoms for some people. Um, The only thing that I do want to make clear is that birth control in no way is a treatment for endometriosis. It does not slow the progression of endometriosis. It does not stop the growth of it, um, it is literally just can help some people with certain symptoms. Just want to make that part clear. Okay, so then going on, um, once we didn't really have any definitive answers from the children's hospital, um, I pretty much stopped going to the doctor because it just seemed like it didn't happen that often and it was just like normal right like um 
it just was the way that my body was functioning and you know the doctor couldn't say anything was for sure wrong so everything must be okay right um so yeah so just continued to go on still had these episodes that I described earlier um was still um definitely always had issues with eating um certain like food aversions issues with digesting I guess I should say more specifically um painful bathroom dealings going on whatever you want to say um so those things all remained also painful sex was always around and there it was just something that I was not aware wasn't normal I did not know that that wasn't normal um so by the time it wasn't until I was about 22 that shit hit the fan and the symptoms became so bad and so glaringly obvious that something was wrong inside my body that I began pursuing the doctors again. Um, And that route landed me at the gastrointestinal office. So I started with a GI doctor because for me, so much of my symptoms were gut related. I was so nauseous. I was dry heaving, vomiting. Um, my, like I said, the bathroom issues was just so painful. I was going so many times a day. Um, and were, I was trying so desperately to find a way of like a certain diet or a way of eating, trying vegan, trying any inflammatory, trying, um, you know, no nightshades and whole foods and anything gut healing and it just wasn't working um it really was difficult mentally it was so hard and it's still hard to have such a fear of food and how it's going to make you eat because obviously eating is a part of every single day. It's something that most people do without a whole lot of thought. Um, but for someone with endometriosis, like even still now, post-surgery, it's something that I seriously struggle with. Um, and before surgery, it was obviously a lot worse. Um, I remember having like literally breakdowns in the grocery store in the middle of, you know, the vegetable aisle with my husband because I just did not know what to eat and I felt like if I ate certain things it was going to make it worse um I didn't know what I could eat that wouldn't send me into pain and these flares and these episodes and it was just that was so hard uh so through the GI I ended up having my gallbladder removed I was on this medicine called Dexalent, which was super expensive, and I was on it way longer than what is suggested to be on it, Um, and of course, I never really did anything. Um, Even looking back now, I don't think my gallbladder was necessarily, was, I don't, I feel like it might not have needed to be removed. I never had gallstones. I just, um, I had a certain scan done that reported back my gallbladder was functioning at like 17%. And I believe that that was because of endometriosis. Um, So maybe it still needed to be removed. But obviously, 
the GI never put those things together. It was never like um, they went in and did the surgery and was and was able to identify that I had endometriosis, which is crazy to think of because now knowing, like I have um, pictures and video of my surgery with the Center for Endometriosis Care. So I actually know what my insides look like and how covered with endometriosis they were. So it's absolutely wild to think that another surgeon went in and looked at the same organs and saw the same things and didn't identify it, like wasn't able to identify it then. And again, highlighting the impact and the difference that would have made had that surgeon just been able to identify it. I'm not saying that that surgeon should be skilled enough to then also perform excision surgery, but just to identify it and refer us out to excision surgeons that know what they're doing would be so incredibly life-changing to so many endometriosis warriors. And that is really what I hope that this series helps. I know it's the hope of every single advocate that ever makes a single post, podcast, creates any kind of content speaking out about endometriosis. Like that is what our end goal is, is to make it better for other endometriosis warriors, to make it better for ourselves, to have the access to care that we so desperately need. Okay, so going back, so I had my gallbladder removed. Um, that was like right before I got married and it seemed to help everything for like three months. (laughs) Maybe, I don't even know if you could say it helped everything. Um, but I definitely like, there was some, there was some progression, you know, there was enough to make us feel like, okay, that was the right thing. Like the gallbladder, my gallbladder needed to come out. We're going to be, I'm going to be on some kind of mend from here on out. And that certainly was not the case. Um, So from then started the many, ugh, the many ER visits. And those were all horrible, like literally so traumatic the ER is just, I don't know where the compassion goes, like where the bedside manners goes, where the empathy goes in an ER room, but it is certainly not something that I've experienced. Um, And this is also where it kind of gets hazy because I'm not really sure like the actual timeline of what happened when, but I ended up having several endoscopies Um, I ended up having a colonoscopy, which was an absolute disaster. Obviously, not the procedure itself. The procedure was fine, and nothing was ever found in the colonoscopy. And nothing significant was found in the endoscopies other than the fact that I was severely inflamed and raw, and there was places um, along my, like, upper GI tract that were so raw I was bleeding, Um, and that was never really given an answer why. Um, the experience with the colonoscopy was horrible, and for a while, because of that experience, I swore off 
going to the ER, going to get help, I was like, I don't give a fuck how bad the pain is. I will manage it however I have to at home before I ever step foot into another ER and be treated the way that I was treated. Um, and I've written a little bit about it on my Instagram. I don't really want to like go into the whole story because it just is a little too time consuming and I want to make sure that you all stay here for the rest of this episode. Um, but essentially the doctor that performed my colonoscopy, so I went into the ER and ended up being admitted to the hospital through the ER. So because of that, um, a drug test was performed and I came back positive for cannabis. I am now a medical cannabis patient, but back then um, my state was not medical yet. Um, And cannabis has been the thing that has helped the most with so many of my symptoms. And so I'll be damned if I give that up. Um, But anyway, so this doctor who performed the colonoscopy got uh finished the colonoscopy and found nothing um and got my drug test back and because you know he found nothing in the colonoscopy uh he went ahead and made the correlation that everything I was going through was because of cannabis come to find out this doctor was writing a thesis paper or like a study or whatever that doctors do was writing was doing this study specifically on the theory of this syndrome caused by cannabis use so there was obviously a bias there and he just connected the dots that he wanted to connect um and i freaked the fuck out i told him to fuck off i um i like threatened to leave the hospital and they were like well you'll be leaving against medical advice and da 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 it was it was just really really bad and i was made to feel like a drug addict and like i was lying about everything i was experiencing that it was just it was really inhumane it made me feel like less of a person Um, I did not feel like I had any kind of control over my medical care or what was happening. Uh, It was just, it was really, really traumatic. And so from that point on, I was like, done. I did not, I realized that I, the information I was finding through the online endo community because I had been dabbling. I had been, you know, looking online and in Facebook groups and chatting with people like, this is what I'm experiencing. These are my symptoms. This is what the doctors are saying. And people were telling me like, that sounds so much like endometriosis. Check this group out. Check this out. And so it slowly started becoming on my radar. And it was after that ER visit that I decided, okay, I know what this is. I know my body better than the doctors are, and I'm not getting anywhere in the routes that I'm trying to take now. So I am going to dig deep and research and figure this out. Um, I just also want to say there were several other hospital stays, um, emergency visits, um, test scans. I don't know how many times I drank that freaking god-awful barium drink. 
for that one test that I don't even remember what it is now. Uh, so many labs, so many blood draws, like, and uh, ultrasounds. Like, there was so much of that along the route, too, that I didn't even discuss or say. Um, I also had a bout of C. diff, and I literally thought I was going to die. That was horrible. Um, and I was in the hospital for, like, a week with that, and on heavy heavy antibiotics for at least a month after that um so it'd been there'd been a lot of build-up to finally coming to a point where I was like done with trying to go to the doctors and find help that way and so I just really plugged into the Indo community and like I said I don't remember who it was or what post it was but I found Nancy's Nook and I found the coveted surgeon list and I found sweet Dr. Sinervo in the Center for Endometriosis Care. Um, and from that point, it still took me two and a half, almost three years to be able to, one, believe myself enough to apply to the Center for Endometriosis Care because that's how deep the medical gaslighting runs. I was so... So I cannot even explain to you how terrified I was that I was going to go through all of this, that me and my husband were going to go into debt to have this surgery, that I was fundraising to make ends meet to have the surgery when I did not know for sure that I had endometriosis. I, I had one gynecologist along the way say that they suspected I had endo and that was it. So I was going off of that, what I had learned and what I knew about my body, um, like so many of us do. I know I'm not alone in that. And I was so terrified that I was going to go through all this and have the surgery. And Dr. Sinerva was going to say, you don't have endometriosis. I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, like that fear is so deep and it's so real. And it still exists even today where there are times where, you know, I have painful days or the fatigue is so bad and I'm like why can't I or why is it like this or is it really that bad I do that a lot to myself on better days when the pain is lower and the fatigue isn't so bad I'm like see it's really not that bad you make it so much worse than your head Mariah like I it just oh it breaks my heart that we do that to ourselves oh scratch that 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 has been done to us so much that it has become internalized. It's not right. It's not fair. Um, Medical gaslighting is so real. Medical PTSD is so real. I had never been a person that was like afraid of the doctors or got anxiety going to the doctors prior to trying to get a diagnosis with endometriosis. And now I literally feel like I'm going to have a panic attack if I have to go. Um, it's really horrible. So, like I said, um, it took me roughly two and a half to three years to get up the courage to apply and then to gather the finances, um, to have excision surgery with the Center for Endometriosis. So, I did that and it was so validating. The experience was, um, as peaceful and as pleasant as having a major surgery could possibly be um, from the 
from the person that you deal with uh, scheduling your surgery at the center to meeting Dr. Cernervo to the hospital staff and the surgical staff they are all wonderful and so compassion and ha- compassionate and have such a thorough understanding of endometriosis that they can literally finish your sentences that you can begin to explain something to them and it's like you can just see it in their eyes that they understand they know what you have been through by the time you get there without even having to tell them and it's like I get choked up thinking about that now because it's so far from what we experience prior to getting to the center for endometriosis care and it really should be the standard like that should be what we experience everywhere and it's just heartbreaking that it's not um so I had I had surgery through the CEC in December of 2019, I believe it was 2018. No, 2019, I think. Gosh, um, and I was diagnosed with deep infiltrating endometriosis, um, stage three. Even though the stages are kind of not being used as much as they once were um but if you want to like google it i was diagnosed with stage three deep infiltrating endometriosis um it was all over my appendix so i lost my appendix it was all over my fallopian tubes and my ovaries Um, my right ovary was attached to my uterus and i had to have a um ovarian suspension bridge done on my right side which is like an incredible surgical technique and I'm so thankful it's one of the things that I am so grateful for the skill of Dr. Cenervo and that he was able to perform that um so I also had it all over my fallopian tubes my bowels were actually adhered to the back of my pelvic wall um and Let's see what else. I I honestly can't even remember all of it and where it all was, but it was quite literally everywhere. Um, And he was able to excise it all. I didn't have to have a bowel reconstruction, which I was really concerned that I was going to have to, but he was able to excise it without having to reconstruct it, it, which was huge um, in like my recovery. It made my recovery a lot easier than obviously having to have a reconstruction um what else oh i also had a presacral neurectomy performed um in part because i also was diagnosed with adenomyosis and pelvic floor dysfunction so that gives me a lot of pain like directly in my uterus um with any kind of like penetration i can't use tampons things like that so the presacral neurectomy is literally where like they go in and cut a specific nerve so that that pain signal can't get to your brain anymore another thing that i am so incredibly grateful for the skill of dr cenervo to be able to do um the ovarian suspension and the presacral neurectomy are two things that not a lot of other surgeons do, um, especially general gynecologists. These are things that are just out of their skill realm. And yeah, like the experience was just absolutely wonderful and great. And 
he was so sincere and so open and honest and answered all my questions um and for the recovery was really rough it was way longer than I expected it to be you are mentally ready a lot sooner than you are physically ready uh the surgery is intense like if you could actually see what was done internally like if you could see that with your eyes it would give you so much a better understanding of like why the healing takes so long and why you know 6 12 18 weeks out you still feel like you just had surgery um it's a big deal excision is it's a it's a hefty one uh and obviously having any kind of organ removed your body has to readjust and rebalance itself from that um and that's something that I hear a lot of warriors talk about is that the recovery is a bit more than what they expect and it's harder to allow yourself all the time that you need to rest because it is a lot um and so I am now three years post-surgery and in a place where my symptoms are still are now they weren't always there was a definitely like a period of maybe what I could call remission um and and I want to be clear that my symptoms are significantly better than they were pre-surgery but it certainly didn't take care of everything like it my symptoms aren't magically gone because I had excision surgery and that was something that I was kind of like I guess demystified or mystified I don't know I it was the idea I went into excision surgery thinking that it was going to be like a magic wand and everything was just going to be better after um not fully understanding you know the damage that had already been done the fact that it is a progressive disease the fact that it's a whole body disease that it literally affects the way you know your body functions um and so uh that was a lot to handle a lot to process emotionally and mentally and to truly accept that like oh I do have an incurable disease and oh I am a chronic illness warrior and oh that isn't just going away because I had excision surgery at the CEC and so the last few years has been a lot of that a lot of grieving a lot of processing a lot of trying to find a place of acceptance and moving forward and being able to say that this is my chronic illness life and it can still be something that I want to live. And though my dreams may look different, I can still have them and I can still have goals and I can still want things for myself that I once thought I would have to give up to endometriosis. And obviously there are some things that endo does deal. Um, you know, I, I, currently have no reason to believe I am uh, physically capable of carrying my own biological children full term. So that's definitely something that Endo has stolen and something that I will grieve for the rest of my life. Um, And so I just want to make that clear as well, that while I am so privileged to have had surgery with one of the best in the country, it 
It didn't cure me because endometriosis is incurable. It didn't fix everything. It didn't erase the years of emotional damage. It didn't take away the years of physical damage. It didn't undo the damage to the things that I always talk about. My fertility, my career, my relationships, my self-esteem, my self-image, my self-worth. Those are all things that I am fighting for now and working to believe and bring back into perspective and heal and all of those things now. But why should it be this way? Why should so many of us experience this while the majority pretends that it isn't happening? Not only pretends that it isn't happening, but the medical system is literally specifically designed and things are happening and being done in the medical system that is keeping us in this cycle, that is keeping the 7 to 10 year delay in diagnosis around. That is, my aunt is now in her 60s and like I said, she was diagnosed in her 20s and I swear to you that not much has changed in the way that endometriosis is treated now versus then. And that was 40 years ago. Like, that's not the way it should be. That's not the way medicine works. That's not the way science works. That's not the way our country works. Like, uh, at least it shouldn't be. Um, And so, yeah. I just really want to, again, highlight these disparities and these systemic injustices that we face and that, once again, they aren't abnormal, that they are, in fact, the normal. Um, I honestly, like, cringe and have a moment of sadness whenever I get a message on Instagram that ends up in my inbox of... A warrior that is in the very crux of the beginning of their journey and they're like I think I have endometriosis now what and I just want to be like oh sweet warrior like take a deep breath and buckle up because you are in for a hell of a ride and it shouldn't be like that I don't want to talk to people and talk to warriors and talk to people who suspect that they have endometriosis and tell them like get ready to be traumatized, get ready to be gaslit and not be believed and go through so much bullshit that you shouldn't have to. We desperately need things to change. We desperately need funding to be allocated, but to be allocated to specific things that are actually going to make a difference in the quality of care. In... in, impacting the delay in diagnosis we so need right now currently the only definitive way to get a diagnosis for endometriosis is through surgery that alone is so much part of the reason why it takes a decade to get diagnosed who wants to have a surgery when they aren't even sure that they have the disease to be told whether or not they have it And then to you add the other layer on that if the person, the doctor that's opening you up to diagnose you, 
doesn't know how to recognize endometriosis and all of the different ways it appears, then what? They close you up and say you don't have endometriosis when in fact you do. And so you go on and years and years go by and the disease gets worse and it progresses and it takes over more of your organs and you were told you didn't have it when you actually do. It's these things that have to change. It's these things that have to change to make any kind of real difference in the lives of endo warriors, and which then also spills out in bigger, um, you know, like into our communities and into our economy and into our country as a whole. And that's why we need people to care. We need people to care and hear our stories and listen to this. So thank you so much for being here. I so appreciate it. I so appreciate that every single time I ask if there is anybody that is willing to be interviewed for the It's Not Just a Bad Period series, I always have multiple warriors in my inbox saying, I want to be. I want to share my story. I want to be part of this. Thank you all so much and thank you all for also being so understanding that I myself am an endometriosis warrior. And so I'm not always um, I'm not always able to follow through exactly when I say I'm going to or hit every single deadline that I set for myself. And you all have just been so encouraging in that. And I appreciate it so much. Thank you for pressing play on this episode. And I will see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Best Worst Club podcast. If you could do us the biggest favor and help us reach more Indo Warriors, please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening. And take a selfie of you listening or a screenshot and share it on Instagram. I hope you'll join us next week, Indo Warrior.